And welcome to A-Level Politics Episode 9. Today we have a special guest. You are never going to believe this. Such an amazing guest. I'm so proud to introduce to you today. Matthew Phillips, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. What do you want to discuss today, Matthew? Um, whether we should have a wholly elected House of Lords. Should the House of Lords be elected? Um, and just to start off, how was your cup of tea? It's cold. It was terrible, I have to say. It was from a pot. Do you... Uh... I take some um, responsibility. Yes, well, you know, you, you There was you no did quality control here. Very lack of, there wasn't a warmth test, was there? No. Uh, really. But uh, maybe you can improve uh, on your position by arguing uh, your case for an, uh, well, you believe in a House of Lords that should remain the same. Is that not true? I think so. Right, okay, so let's kick us uh, off then. Um, the House of Lords, uh, what is it, what is it supposed to do? Uh, it's meant to do three main things. It's meant to uh, try and represent the public. It's meant to um, it's meant to mainly be a revising chamber to change laws, make them work better. That's its main role, probably. And last one is oversight or scrutiny of the executive, which I think it it also does quite well. And, and we know, in terms of its weakest function it's pretty obvious that it doesn't really represent people directly. It doesn't, the, the peers that sit in the House of Lords don't have constituencies. Um, however, it, it can have a record of standing up for the little guy. Hmm. Um, do you want to talk us through that a little bit? Um, I think how it tries to represent people is by having a, a, a diversity that the House of Commons doesn't have. Um, so they now have a House of Lords appointments uh, commission that I think came in in 2000, and they now pick people based on merit, although admittedly some people are still picked based on party loyalty. So that's why we see people like uh, Tanny Gray-Thompson, who's a former Paralympian. We see people like um, Baron Bird or Lord Bird, who is the owner of The Big Issue. Uh, so you see a real diversity in whether they're dis disabled or whether they are from the world of business, as well as the, the usual lawyers and former politicians that it's always had. So in, in, the, in terms of just how the chamber looks, it provides an alternative type of representative function uh, than the House of Commons. Um, people aren't just um, political hacks or political loyalists, although that, that there is clearly that there, but they can be, uh, through the appointment of people's peers, uh, uh, quite a diverse bunch of people, really. Mm. In terms of um, standing up and representing people, they also do so uh, when they look at government legislation as well, don't they? Um, so, for example, uh, they were very quick to uh, attack the government and hold up the government's reforms to welfare benefits uh, because they believed that disabled people uh, would be adversely affected. Um, are there any other ways in which the House of Lords, you feel, is really performing uh, very well? So... You've already mentioned about the welfare reforms. The other two that I was going to mention was over uh, tax credits, which is perhaps the the more recent, uh, protecting those people who were in receipt of uh, tax credits, which top up poor pay. Um, the other one is over civil liberties. They tend to protect our civil liberties, our freedoms, better than the House of Commons over ID cards, 
um, detention without charge for 90 days. Um, these sorts of things uh, were opposed or defeated by the House of Lords. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd think that an elected House of Commons would be better at protecting us because they have to answer to us through the ballot box. But actually, they also respond to our fears and to our whims uh, and to our prejudices in many ways. Mm. Uh, and by not being elected, the House of Lords is free from that kind of moral panic that we see sometimes um, and also often the charge levied at the House of Lords the obvious one it's unelected um, but we know some of the worst um, types of uh, unrepresentativeness if you like were taken away uh, when the hereditary peers uh, all but 93 of them were, were removed in, in the reforms by the Labour government um, so only life peers can now be appointed uh, to the Lords. Um, and in that sense, it ended that inbuilt Conservative majority um, in the chamber um, because most hereditary peers were Conservatives. Uh, and now we have a more balanced chamber in terms of political party representation as well, don't we? And it probably more accurately reflects, um, by coincidence maybe, than rather design, the uh, the kind of levels the su of support that the parties received at the 2015 general election. Um, do you think that has had an impact on the legitimacy of the Lords, perhaps? I think it has. I think um, when you also factor a very important group, the crossbenchers, the independent peers who have no party, they're a very, very important group as well. Um, so the, the main things that came out of the House of Lords reform of, two, of 1999 were those two things. The, the fact that the Conservatives don't have a majority in the Lords anymore and the fact that you now have, well, today you have 178 independent crossbenchers who tend to be a much more, uh, much more likely to criticise, much more likely to stand up to the government and they bring in a, a range of experience and expertise. And with that expertise it's possible to see that the current chamber, the unelected chamber, is more able to stand up to the House of Commons and then by extension the government because the Conservatives do not have a majority of seats and as you say the independent crossbenchers are independent uh, and they prevent that descent into tribalism, uh, voting along party lines and so forth. And we saw that in the recent Article 50 vote, didn't we, where the House of Commons just kind of let Theresa May have the kind of Brexit that she wanted or the, the Article 50 that she wanted, whereas the House of Lords were much more willing to say, hang on a sec, uh, what about the rights of EU nationals living in this country? Um, the godmother uh, to my daughter, for example, is an EU national. She's lived here for 30 years. She happens to be Portuguese. She owns a house. She uh, is a cleaner. Um, she is uh, the most amazing, caring human being. She didn't see the point of getting a UK passport because uh, what was the point? Um, and now her status is in limbo. The House of Commons isn't defending her. The House of Lords seems to be uh, defending her. You can use that example in your exams if you want, folks. Um, it also seems to be fairly clear in terms of, of who is in the ascendancy. The House of Commons, the elected chamber, has 
its uh, way always eventually um, because it is elected and so the House of Lords if you like is an advisory or revising chamber isn't it and that is a better place to be than say in the United States where both chambers the Senate and the House of Representatives um, are elected both therefore claim legitimacy and both are co-equal which means they can block each other and what you get is gridlock um, and it's almost impossible for legislation to get passed. Um, are there any other fantastic things about the House of Lords that we need to know about? I know that you're in love with it, Matthew. I know <laughs> that you're secretly in love, openly in love with the House of Lords. Um, I guess the only other thing would be to mention is... Um, he's, he's blushing, by the way. You can't the, see it, he's blushing. <laughs> the role of uh, committees as well, which I think often are forgotten about um it's quite well known that and it was something mentioned in the re recent documentary on the house of lords um that the house of commons very often make poor legislation they don't have the time um to properly scrutinize legislation it's a big problem with um public bill committees um, and therefore it's really up to the house of lords to do all the the hard work um, and that's where the expertise and experience comes in, really, because there are a lot of former military generals, um, first sea lords of the, of the Navy, there's lawyers, there's former politicians, and that's where the real work comes in, is, is to make sure that the, law, the laws work properly. They can look at it line by line and revise it. And everybody right now is thinking, what on earth is a sea lord? What's a sea lord? Someone high up in the Navy. I thought it was, an, I thought it was an animal of some kind. Um, you're absolutely right, though. Um, and the House of Lords has um, become far more defiant, hasn't it, um, uh, since uh, the reforms. Um, it's more likely to defeat the government due to weaker party discipline, independently-minded peers. Um, New Labour, between 1997 and 2010, was defeated 450 times by the House of Lords. And the coalition was defeated 99 times. Um, so you can see just how willing it is to stand up to even really powerful governments like that Blair government, um, the very government that reformed um, the House of Lords. Um, I would also would argue um, that uh, the House of Lords uh, is, in many ways, just like you said with those committees, really, really effective um, at... Um, basically uh, holding, um, to, to propose, sorry, uh, alternative ways uh, of, of running the country or, or, or of passing uh, legislation. Um, and um, they're more likely to uh, rebel. Um, for example, no fewer than 53% of divisions in the House of Lords, that is votes, uh, included some kind of rebel uh, vote um, with 30% uh, rebellion amongst Conservatives and 42% uh, amongst Liberal Democrats. That shows that party discipline is weak, which basically means scrutiny is strong. It means that people are more independently minded, not just those crossbenchers. Um, there's a culture of independence in the House of Lords that you don't get um, in the in the House of Commons. Um, just moving on. Are there any other reasons why you really love the House of Lords? Why you, you wish to, to, to marry the House of Lords? Um, 
I think Marriott is is strong. Uh, <laughs> I think um, there are changes that need to be made, and I think most people are in acceptance of that. It's just what change needs to be brought. Uh-huh. So I think everybody accepts that the hereditary peers perhaps need to go, although admittedly they are elected. You are... Not by us, though. Not by us. By themselves. So within their special group of hereditary peers, they choose who's the best of a bad bunch. Mm. Um, So, yes, it's probably them who face the next um, sort of reform. Um, But beyond that, nobody's really convinced as to whether it should be wholly elected, whether it be uh, fully appointed, or whether it should be a hybrid system, a, a mixture of both. I mean, also, if you did, let's get on to this idea of an election then. Um, what would the quality of the intake be? Who would be willing to stand for election to the second house um, in uh, in Parliament when actually it doesn't have an awful lot of power? Um, you probably wouldn't get the level of expertise uh, that you have now, certainly because most of them are very old and probably would want to stand for election. They wouldn't have the energy. Um, and it's not clear that the House of Lords would be uh, anything other than it is now, which is stocked full of has-beens and never-wares and failed ministers um, uh, or party loyalists or big political donors. I'm not entirely convinced that you would actually get an, an awful lot different uh, than that. Uh, maybe if you'd been an advisor to Theresa to, to May and there was an election to the House of Lords, you would just then stand uh, for election to the House of Lords because you know Theresa May and you get into the House of Lords. It wouldn't actually be a huge difference from from what it is now. That is um, perhaps one of the arguments um, against election. And I think also if you look at the record of of the House of Lords, going back to its record on, say, civil liberties... In 2001 and 2003, it prevented plans to limit trial by jury. Um, uh, In 2001, it blocked a proposal to introduce an offence of inciting racial hatred uh, because it feared that freedom of speech would be affected. Uh, In 2005, it placed limitations on control orders, that's house arrest for terrorist suspects. In 2005 as well, it denied the government the power to introduce ID cards without going through normal parliamentary procedures. In 2011, it held up coalition proposals on changing constituency boundaries. In 2012, it delayed coalition plans on benefits, like we discussed. Um, And it's not just that the committees do a good job in holding the government uh, to account. The European Committee uh, in the House of Lords is widely respected and its reports are read throughout Europe. Uh, and its suggestions are not just debated in Parliament, but also the European Parliament. It is that good. Um, so you'd have to be certain that all of that good stuff I've just mentioned is going to be replaced by the same level, if not greater levels of scrutiny, uh, and the, the kind of quality debate, free from partisan uh, politics, that you get in, in the House of Lords. Um, so there, there, there is... However, a clear, decisive uh, view from the people of this country. They want an elected House of Lords, or isn't there? Do people care? Uh, I, think, I think that's another problem as well, is that there isn't really the uh, desire at the moment to change it because everything is focused on Brexit. We are now focused on election time. 
So this is probably something that's on the back burner, really. Um, and it's not going to happen while the Conservative Party are in charge, because they're pretty much the only party that are in favour of keeping it as is. Right, and you are in favour of keeping it as it is largely, is that correct? What, what is your sort of overall feeling about this? I'm going to tell you what I think in a minute, but what, what do you think that the House of Lords is largely should be left as it is? I think it should be... I think that the hereditary peers should, should go. However, it should stay appointed. Right. Um, I think, well... You'll give us your views on on why it should be elected, no doubt, and then I will tell you why that's wrong. Oh, right, so I'm going first, am I? Right, I do think the House of Lords should be elected. I'm going to... Everything I've just said, just forget about it. I don't don't believe a word I've said. Uh, The arguments uh, for a fully elected chamber are thus. It lacks legitimacy. Um, They're quite simple, these arguments, really. Um... And I think they'd sound good in a, in, a, in a referendum on it. They lack legitimacy. Um, a fully elected chamber would be more willing to challenge the Commons since it would have a democratic mandate to do so. Um, it could not be attacked for lacking legitimacy as it has been in the Article 50 process, even though it was making quite sensible recommendations. Um, and I think this could only be a good thing in a country that has a lower house elected by first past the post and is likely to have a dominant government um, after June the 8th, uh, with a huge, substantial Commons majority. Um, and therefore, I believe that we need uh, other places to have mandates to hold that government to account. Um, if the House of Lords was elected using a proportional system, um, you could argue that it would accurately represent the wishes of the people even more so than the current House of Commons. Matthew has actually stood up, by the way, uh, as I'm talking. I think he's so infuriated with this. Oh, no, sorry, he's gone to get a pen. I got that wrong. Um, Now, you'd also have, um, if you had a decent electoral system, uh, the Greens uh, could uh, have a say, the Liberal Democrats could have a say, UKIP could have a say, uh, the SNP could have a say. Imagine in this regionally divided uh, country of ours um, where it seems to be disintegrating, uh, with the SNP calling for independence votes, uh, Sinn Féin calling for a border poll in Northern Ireland, um, and uh, there being a real resurgence of English nationalism and anti-immigration. Imagine a chamber that uh, was um, really there to represent the regions of the country. Perhaps if you used a list system, not a closed list system, but an open list system, uh, and it was um, divided into regions, um, those regions would feel more part of the UK and we could have greater national unity. Um, Now, I agree we should get rid of the hereditary peers. Only Lesotho uh, is the the only other country in the world, uh, which is not a democracy, by the way, where um, you have still a a hereditary element um, in their um, politics. Um, One peer described the chamber as a daycare centre for the elderly. Um, Most peers are over 60. Um, And as Tom Paine argued long ago, uh, as in long ago, 1791, the idea of hereditary legislators is as inconsistent as that of hereditary judges, as hereditary juries, 
and as absurd as an hereditary mathematician or an hereditary wise man, as absurd as an hereditary poet laureate. Yet the chamber still has 92 hereditary peers. Um, a fully elected chamber sits happily with the government's decision to take the judicial function out of the Lords and thus create a clearer separation of powers and uh, separation, perhaps, um, of uh, the upper and the lower houses. Um, and you see with the corruption involved with the House of Lords appointment system, look how many appointments that David Cameron made, over 200 rewarding his supporters. And then before that, you saw the Cash for Honest scandal, where the Labour Party was essentially handing over peerages to people uh, that gave the right amount of money. That needs to be cleared up. And only through transparency, through an open election, can you actually um, guarantee that. But I will leave you with one last point before uh, the end, but I'm going to hand over to Matthew because I want another sip of this delicious cold cup of tea. Matthew, do your worst. The reason why I grabbed a pen, because I can't remember all of um, the points that have been made, but um, I think the first... Thanks, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Uh, I was listening and then I wrote them down. Um, I think the first... We talked about um, what voting system we would use, um, and I quite enjoy talking about the pros and the cons about the voting systems. Um, if we chose proportional representation, PR, and it was a list system, then we are again giving power to party leadership to decide who is going to be at the top of that list. Um, so, in effect, you are alongside giving parties power because these people are now going to be under the whip. These people will also be there because they have managed to convince the party leadership that they deserve to be at the top of that list. Um, the second problem is if these people are going to be elected, you presume that they are going to be uh, paid a salary of some kind. Are they going to be paid the same as an MP? 70, yes. £74,000 yeah. a year? Yeah. Um, at present, the max that they can uh, take per day is £300, and that is for their expenses, so that's the maximum. So they can sit and watch TV in the House of Lords TV room. Which brings me on to my next point, really, is um, there is a lot of criticism about the people who are appointed at present, and I think that is justified. However, many of these people who are going into the House of Lords maybe because of loyalty, are people like David Blunkett, who was a former Home Secretary. Um, Failed minister. Brings a range of uh, experience. People like Alistair Darling. Um, who credit crunch on his watch. Former Chancellor. The credit crunch happened bef before he was Chancellor, I think. I don't know. And um, so these people, Tessa Jow as well, I like People that. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Tessa Jow. Um, she, she did a good Olympics, didn't she? Former uh, Lib Dem leader, Ming Campbell. So these are people from a variety of parties. Funny name. Indeed, funny name. Former Olympian as well. Yeah. Back in when it was shown in black and white. Um, so they bring a variety of experience. And okay, they might be there in some ways for the wrong reasons, but they're probably doing a good job. And the last point I would make... Um, is the idea of legitimacy. You've also got Una King as well, who seems 
came across really well in that TV documentary. She did. She did. Um, campaigning for uh, adoption, adoption and maternity rights for yeah. adop- uh, people who adopt. I think making like it that. easier to yeah. adopt. Yes. Yeah. Look it up, folks. Look it up. Uh, and the last point I, w- I would make is about we've got a voting system. Maybe it's list, um, which on paper is meant to be fairer. Um, but there's two problems with that. When one is when does it happen? If it's at the same time as a general election, then there's going to be confusion for the electorate. The the other problem is, is that if it happens in between elections, then surely there's going to be voter fatigue. People are going to get bored of voting. They're going to get tired of voting. The turnout's going to go down. Um, The turnout in America, where they have this system... Um, is lower than in the UK, and we already accept that the turnout should go up, not go down. The other problem um, is, okay, we use proportional representation, but doesn't that mean that the House of Lords is more legitimate than the House of Commons? Doesn't that mean that actually the House of Lords should be more powerful than the House of Commons? Um, And then that causes a constitutional crisis of who should be the more powerful? Does that mean that we now need to have... Uh, a House of Commons with a change of voting system. What does that mean about the the balance of power? I think they're all very legitimate points, and it, it makes me come to my last point, or I think it's my last point, or around that that mark. Um, that actually, House of Lords reform on its own, electing the House of Lords reform, can never or should never be in isolation to a wider range of constitutional reforms. Um, because every little reform you do to the Constitution creates a crisis, if you think about it, um, because it creates added complexity and so on. And so what I would like to see uh, is that House of Lords reform is part of a broader package. So uh, you'd have electoral reform to the House of Commons at the same time, because without that elephant in the room addressed, you will still ultimately have a dominating government. Um, you, As you say, you can't really have a fair electoral system uh, for the other half of Parliament. Um, you also need, you know, really genuine fixed elections so you can resolve this issue of when the House of Lords is elected, if it, if we decide to elect it. Um, the Fixed-Term Parliament Act clearly isn't fixed uh, for purpose because it just means that the uh, Prime Minister just has to say a few different words than she ordinarily would um, to uh, to have called an election, as we've seen in the last few days. Um, so you would need a tidying up exercise it's called a codified constitution, folks. Look it up. Uh, we should have one of those too. So what I'm calling for is perhaps not just House of Lords reform, but that that is part of a wider package of radical reforms. And if we're worried about turnout, folks, you know what I'm going to say there, compulsory voting. Last word, Matthew. Um, I think there's not the... Um, it's not the time for it, given that we have so many other issues, Brexit being the biggest, but not the only one. Um, We need to think about the cost of this change. We need to think about what voting system 